there are at least three things that scholars are not sure about when it comes to this book of Ephesians we'll be reading from. They aren't sure who it was written to. There's some copies that mention Ephesians or Ephesus in the first verses, and, but some of the best copies that are still around don't. The second thing is they're not sure where it was written from, perhaps from Corinth, but they're not references to place names, so they're not sure. And the third thing, they're not sure who wrote it. Now, maybe the Apostle Paul did, but there are a number of differences in the language and the grammar and the themes that, from the books that they're sure Paul wrote. The other thing is that today we have concepts of copyright and intellectual property that weren't such a big thing back then. Sometimes, you know, if I was a disciple or a follower and Sharon was my teacher, I would say I wrote this book in Sharon's name, you know, because it followed the principles I had learned from her, for example. What we do know is that this little six-chapter letter still speaks to us today. When we read, uh, listen for three words that Paul wrote about a lot. Faith, hope, and love. In fact, in Ephesians, love comes up a dozen times. Remember, as we're reading from the first chapter of Ephesians, this is a letter. If you think about it, when we read from a letter like this, we're really listening to one half of the conversation. A few years ago, uh, our family went off to hear a, a talk by one of our favorite thriller authors, David Baldacci. Uh, he told us about taking a train from Washington, D.C. to New York City once to interview a medical specialist who was a consultant for one of his books. On that Amtrak train, he called the doc only to find out that she could not meet with him as they had planned the next day. She said, ask me questions now or we can get together in a couple of months. Well, he had a book to finish, so he proceeded to ask her questions for the murder mystery he was writing. How much of this poison would be needed? Exactly how it might be detected? Exactly how it worked? And so on. Well, he was so busy taking notes on his computer and trying to remember all his questions, he was not aware of his surroundings until he hung up. And he looked up and the businessman, you know, in the Amtrak you kind of have seats facing each other. There's, one fellow sitting across the way had spilled coffee all the way down his coat. <laughs> the other guy was, had his hands in there and his mouth wide open, like, what? <laughs> <laughs> well, then he looked down the aisle and he saw the Amtrak security guys walking down the talking. <laughs> well, you talk about having some explaining to do. Well, eventually, hours later, everything's got all sorted out, and they had talked with a judge and so on, and at the beginning of his next book, which was called Split Second, if you look at the beginning, there's an apology to everybody who'd been on that train because his not thinking about they're hearing his side of the conversation had delayed everybody several hours. So, well, 
I mentioned that story both because we're reading from a letter, hearing just one side of the conversation, but also because in this passage we're hearing a pastor's prayer for a congregation. Don't you just wonder what folks who've pastored this congregation have prayed for you along the way over the years? Well, now let us pray for illumination. Lord, send your spirit to move in our world, stir the waters of our souls so that we will desire a word of instruction that awakens us to the joy of your coming reign. In Christ's name, amen. So, starting at the 15th verse of First Ephesians, uh, the first chapter of Ephesians. I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. And for this reason, I do not cease to give thanks for you as I remember you in my prayers. I pray that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and revelation as you come to know him so that with the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints? And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe according to the working of his great power? God put this power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion, above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the age to come. And he has put all things under his feet and has made him the head over all things for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. Oh Lord, may my words and may our thoughts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. If you knew, if you knew you were just about to die, what would your last words be? I heard about a mischievous person who said he wanted his last words to be, listen. I have hidden a million dollars under, <laughs> boom. <laughs> or, now, or did you hear about the pastor who was visiting a church member in the hospital when the patient gestured to the preacher for pen and paper and he quickly scribbled something down. But all of a sudden the lights started flashing, the alarms went off and the medical staff rushed in and told the family and the preacher, you gotta get out of here for now. And they tried but failed to resuscitate the patient. Well, a few days later, preacher's wearing the same suit at the funeral. And as he's talking, he puts his hand in his pocket and he feels that note and he remembers. So he told the congregation that on this note were the last words of the deceased fellow. He said, I just, I just know that he would want you to know what his last words were. And so he opened the note and he read it out loud. 
step back, you're standing on my oxygen tube. <laughs> well, one more story. During, during lunch at Presbyterian meeting in Goldsboro last month, uh, a lady told Betty me about a fellow who had asked a relative, you know, earnestly, is there anything I can do to help you? And the lady's response was to say, you ain't never been a lick of help to me in your whole life. And then she leaned her head back and cackled and laughed and died. Can you imagine? Those are the last words she uttered in her life. Well, those stories warn us first to watch out what we say, not to mention where we stand. <laughs> because anything we say could turn out to be our last words. But wait, 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 now that, that sermon title, you looked at the bullet, did not say last words, but the last word. If you look it up in the dictionary, if you Google it, or as some people say, giggle it, <laughs> Merriam-Webster tells you that the last word means a, either the power of final decision, you know, kind of the Supreme Court, I guess, or definitive statement or treatment. This is the last word on sourdough cooking or whatever, you know, the, it's definitive. So in the great scheme of life, the universe and everything, who has the last word? Our reading from the letter to the Ephesians tells us that God put power to work in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dimension of every name not only in this age, but also in the age to come. So Jesus Christ is the last word, the final judgment, the definitive statement of who God is and how we should live. But what about that pastoral prayer that came before that? I do not cease to give thanks as long as I remember, and I remember you in my prayers, made me think of how the week before I started here officially, back in the June, June of uh, 2013, Jack Sherman called me and said, you don't know me, but I pray for you every week. And I hope you know that he and I pray for y'all, as Ephesians says, without ceasing. And the first part of that prayer is thanksgiving. And why was the writer of Ephesians thankful? Well, two reasons are named. First, your faith in the Lord Jesus. And second, your love toward all the saints, that is, all God's people. You know, there seem to be a lot of people and even some churches who claim to love Jesus but don't seem to be willing to even try to love the people Jesus loves. Sadly, what the writer Jonathan Swift said is too true. Swift said, we have just enough religion to make us hate, but not enough to make us love one another. We need more of what one writer calls double love, love for God, love for God's children. So after giving thanks, the pastor writing to the Ephesians prays that God may give you a spirit of wisdom, revelation, as you come to know him. That is, we are coming to know God through Christ. We're not there yet. 
but we're growing, we're moving in that direction. So why does the pastor pray for that spirit of wisdom, revelation? He says, so that the eyes of your heart enlightened, you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance among the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power for us who believe. Well, early in that first chapter of Ephesians, we read that all of this is according to God's plan. That is, God chose us in Christ to be holy and blameless in God's presence before he even created the world. And that God destined us to be his adopted children through Christ because of his love. This was according to his goodwill and plan to honor his glorious grace that he has given us freely through the son whom he loves. Remember the pastor's prayer for the congregation to have wisdom and revelation. Ephesians tells us that God has made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure that he set forth in Christ as a plan in the fullness of time to gather up all things in him things in heaven, things on earth. You see, Christ is the center of God's plan. And we are part of that ingathering. And that is, that is how we are called in hope and promised glorious inheritance. Inheritance not in terms of money or land and the will, but in eternal relationship with Almighty God this living and loving relationship with God and with the children of God is something we have hints of, tastes of now and will in the age to come be the reign of Christ the King. Now Brian Erickson as a Methodist preacher I've mentioned a time or two, he wrote that Ephesians does not intend for us to relegate Jesus to a heavenly throne that has no weight on earth That Jesus' kingship transforms every allegiance, every relationship, even, even our understanding of life and death. Christ's place in eternity demands our attention to the here and now, not just to the later. This work of faith is to live in the confidence of God's final word in Christ. Whether we are sitting in a waiting room waiting for those test results, <coughs> or we're weeping at the grave of a loved one, or we're fearful of the news of wars and rumors of wars from all over the place these days, or we feel that hope somehow seems just lost, or when sacred promises have been broken, or when we seem to have lost both our, our rudder and our moral compass, so life seems to have no direction, or when we just cannot imagine having any hope tomorrow. As Erickson has written, we need not be afraid of any power this world can wrangle. For Christ has the last word. <coughs> now we started today with some stories about last words. Do you recall the last words that Jesus said to his disciples before he ascended into heaven? In the last verses of Matthew 28, 
They quote Jesus as saying, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. And that's the last word. Thanks be to God. You are witnesses of our Lord Jesus Christ who rose from the dead, who sits at the right hand of God in glory, and who sends the Holy Spirit to empower us for service in his name. So now may the grace of God the Father bless you with peace. May the love of Jesus Christ sustain you in joy. And may the power of the Holy Spirit fill you with hope this day and forevermore.